Welcome everyone. Episode three. We've done three of these, Rocco. Of the Can't believe it. We're gonna have to celebrate the, the next one or the fifth one. We'll, we'll do a we'll do like a party a party episode. Yeah, the jump punch party. Well, it's weird because we've had a lot of news as well today. So three weeks ago when we started, we didn't have Zach Williams, we didn't have Sard, but Today, it's gone through. So what are your initial thoughts of finally the Saab saga being over with? I am stoked that it's... I knew we were always going to get him. Like, we all knew that we were going to get him. We just... I didn't want it to go to the, to the pre-season. Just for the anxiety, I got a cop for that whole... Well, how long is it? Like, six weeks, two months before, before it gets done? Yeah, December the 7th, we'd have to wait. So right, that's so, a long time. So I'll just wrap that it's done. I think the deal is, uh, it's a good deal. Saad plus, uh, what did we get? Saad plus uh, 48 and 78. And we gave them 8 and 87. So I think the deal's great. And now we've got the two A-grade players we've been crying out for for years. Oh, 100%, man. I mean... It makes the best 22 better. And I think I agree with you about the deal. I think as soon as Nick Austin put his foot down and said he wants to give a for 48, that was the initial deal. And that was the deal that evidently we were unreasonable for. I think this is a credit to Nick Austin that that was what Nick Austin valued. And that's all that matters. We've got to back our list manager. He obviously wanted to do a deal, not go to PSD. So he's actually effectively got that. He's he's got exactly what he asked for against a guy that's notoriously hard to get what you want. Yeah. So yeah. if you look at this as a game, a chess, we know Dodoro asked for eight and a player. We asked for eight forty-eight. We've actually won that. That battle of wills, we're the winner. Hundred percent, man. He um he he stood his ground held his nerve, said what he wanted, said what he wanted. And I think eight and 48 is a really good thing. Said what he wanted and actually got it. And he and he stood his ground and Dodoro tried to bluff him out of it. But guess what, mate? We've got, we've got Saad. We got him back out 48. And now, thank you very much for coming. I predicted top four. And now I'm going to stand that top four, mate. Mate, just log, log top four in, right? I agree with you, mate. I mean, I mean, for me, I think we, we're obviously covered. We've also had overnight the Charlie Kerno injury news. But I think if you look on paper at the moment, our first our round one side, if we remove Charlie Kerno from it, potentially could look like this. Plowman, Liam Jones, Tom Williamson, Doherty, we are in Saad. Which well, that, that back line, that back six, let's say, could be one of the better back sixes going around just quietly. It looks like a premiership backline, doesn't it? If we yep. break that down, it looks like a premiership backline. You've seen flags won with backlines yep. like that. But you think about it, you've got like you've got the big men, you've got the stoppers, you know what I mean? And now you've got that running man, you know, running through. You've got Williams, the left footer, you know what I mean? Who also breaks those lines and he's both of Williams and Sada are good kicks, you know what I mean? So we're talking players. And then you've got Doherty, the general back there. Man, the six, I don't think we could. If you're going to build one, you'd almost, you couldn't do much more than what we just did. And we love a Pom bold statement. Doherty, we are in, and Sard is the best halfback line in the AFL. Yeah, well, he's... It is, and, and it will be. <laughs> and I'm not even taking a counter argument. Like that is the like that is now the benchmark for me. Like that is that's got everything. It's got Doc's nows. It's got that Doc's ability and vision. It's got Saad's pace, and yep. it's just got Jacob Wheater in, who is. Well, is well think about this then, because let's say Saad. Well, he hasn't won the All Australian, but I still think he's one of the best running back. You know, who breaks lines. But in that three, we've got two All-Australians. Now, we've definitely got the – we had Doc as an All-Australian. We knew he should have been All-Australian. That was a joke, you know what I mean? So we, we've got two All-Australians and the best running back yet. That's definitely the best. 
And I would say, I, I would say 2021, that is the all-Australian halfback line. I actually think it will be. I actually reckon that Gillian will get it right and he'll just say cow and halfback line. 100%. Solid. I like it. I like but then, it. Then if we look at the midfield, I've gone, I've gone controversial. I think SPS will move up to the wing next year now Sard's there. I've gone SPS, Cripps, Walsh with yep. De Corning, Setterfield and Zach Williams. Like... That that is that that is magical. It's got everything. I'm loving it, mate. I'm loving it, man. You've got a bit of everything there, man. Mate, the, you've, uh, you've got tattoos. You've got mongrel. <laughs> you've got pace. You've got good looks. You've got everything you want from a midfield. You're absolutely right, man. You got blokes that you got blokes that care about the way they look in in like cribs, the way he dresses, and then you got. You got Mummy's boy. You got Walsh, man. He's the perfect kid to bring bring home to your daughter. And then you got a bit of like roughness in there. You get the Williams in there. SPS could be potentially, yeah. He he's I, I'm pretty excited about SPS. I reckon he's been played in the wrong position for a while, and I'm hoping that this year or year he really steps out. Yeah, oh, 100 percent. And then. It gets better because if you look at this half forward line, I've gone with Jesus, who I think would come out when Charlie gets himself right. Harry, Martin, Fisher, McGovern, and Betts. That's a tasty forward line. Looking good. Looking and then good. you look at then you look at the next best twenty. You look at the next best eighteen. Casbol, Ed Kerno, Gibbons. You'd imagine they're on the interchange bench. And then we've got Murphy. Lockie Fogarty, Kent, Pitternet, Dow, McCready, O'Brien, Newman, Marchbank, Cunningham, Nunes, Kennedy, Cottrell, Stocker, Ramsey, Philp, and Honey. He's probably the most depth I can remember. That's heaps of depth. Look, I can't remember that sort of depth for years, man. We're talking a lot of those second 20 that you've just named there uh, could easily could easily be in our best 22. Could easily be in our best 22. And that's the difference in our side next year. You know, that's the difference. And that's all on the backs of a couple of kids coming up with TDK. And, and then you've got like the Sard and the Williams. Bringing them two players in absolutely has changed a high the, the manics of, of, our, of our team. Yeah? Oh, I think one thing it gives us, and I keep harping on about this, is I think last year it was the lack of ability to have a plan B. I think our plan of kick it long is built yeah. in necessity. That is all we have as players. Yeah. Sard and Williams do look to run and carry. They offer that option. And you look at Richmond, when they're in the shit, they run and carry. Geelong, yes. they run and carry. Collingwood, yes. run and carry. Doggies, Eagles, Oh, they have that option. They have the handball run-and-carry game yeah. as a plan B. And all they need is two players to do it, two or three players. We know Williams and Saad, they look to do this. This is, this is their presentation. Always looking to do it, you know what I mean? And now, yeah, you're getting the, the dock, you're getting Saad, and like you said, Williams, man, I'm telling you, it's looking good. It's looking good, man. If they can now, if they can all... Uh, like go towards this dream of doing something special. I'm telling you, this is looking good now, man. These are the two players. I've been hearing, um, you know, Carlton supporters complain a lot in the last couple of weeks about the deals and that. Just remember that these two players is what we've been asking for. We've been asking for these two A-graders to come into our side. And now we've got it. You understand what we've just got? We've got these two A-graders. Not only that have come, they wanted to come because they see something. Oh, I, I think it's an exciting time. And I, I agree with you. I mean, I think for me, the time has gone to win trades. The time has gone to win little crappy battles. I want to win the war. And it's fitting. November the 11th, Armistice Day, that we're talking about winning the war. And I think the war is the flag. It's flag 17. It's, And I don't care about these little soppy battles. I don't care if Dodoro's at home now having a Mai Tai and going, 
Oh, I won. Because for me, all that matters is September, that week of September, we're lining up as the national anthem plays to win flag 17, then flag 18, then flag 19, and lo and behold, flag 20. And yeah. to me, that, that's now, I think, the greater picture of this club. We need to focus on winning the bloody thing, not, yeah. not getting a good deal, just winning the main thing. Because if this flag comes through in the next two years, pick eight facade is <laughs> laughing. No, you won't even remember. I'm telling you, if you go back at a lot of these trades, no one remembers what we gave up for them or anything, man. We win this flag, everything gets ironed over. Look at Richmond this year. I think they had breaches with the COVID and that. No one's talking about it. You know why? Because they're talking about the flag. That's what they're talking about. And that's what we've got to do now, man. We're going to shut everyone up by winning something, yeah? Oh, mate. I mean, I'm with you. I mean, look, mid-year last year, Tom Lynch is a hack. He's a cheat. He's a bully. Exactly. And Tom, Tom Lynch has just won his second flag in three years. And... He's probably giggling at these articles, isn't he? Like, oh, you remember when he did though, uh, like during the year near the end, he, he was a bit rough there. And oh, you know, like I don't like the way he plays. Shut up as he's holding both medals up in the air. <laughs> you know, like I mean, this. He doesn't care, does he? Like nah, he doesn't care nah. what to say because he's a winner. Of course. Hey, what about this? Uh, we've also picked up Lockie Fogarty. From Geelong. Now I didn't know anything about him. To tell you the truth, like if he if he stood up in my kitchen right now, I'd go, "What are you doing in my house, mate? Who are you?" You know. So, what do you think <laughs> about him? What do you think about him? Well, I mean, he's he's someone. Let's be honest. He he hasn't set the world alight yet. But but there's always a but. He's 22 next year during the season. He played six games this year for Geelong. He's had a horrendous look with injury. Like, pretty much everything you can do from the waist down that's not fun, he's done. So, he's done it. He's had a lot of niggles. Now, Geelong have said that some of that has been the training program they've had him on. They had a lot of success with him this year with adjusting his training loads and everything that they do for that. So, on paper, when he does play, and you look at round 10 this year... He tore it up. He, he he tore it up. Against North Melbourne, 23 touches, playing on the ball and then rotating in the half-forward line. He showed it. He said he has high tackle numbers this year. He is very aggressive. So there is something there, and it, we have been linked with him now for pretty much the entire trade period. So that says to me that Austin's seen something. Now, what that is, I can't tell you. All I can tell you is the facts. High tackle numbers, is tenacious, does find the ball this year when he has been fit. Yes, he has injuries, but his best says that there is something there for a player of his game time. There is something there. And he's, he makes the best 25 better, in my opinion. Yeah, at his, at his best luck. Like, oh. Since since we picked him up and that, so I had a bit of a look at his highlights, which are always good, the highlights, man. I reckon you could get highlights on me kicking the ball out in the park and I could look like I could look good, you know. But what I heard, like, he's worth it because what we paid for him also, I mean, we got Lockerty and 38, we gave away 30 and a 45. So I reckon what we gave away and what we're going to get, I think, I think it's a good deal. I think he's, he, he's very, and I'll say this, in the, the year that he played, that he played a lot of games, which was 18, his debut year, he did finish top four for tackles around the ground yeah. and tackles inside 50. He's very pressure-based, very pressure-based. That is his game. And all last year when we were having these six-goal slides, what was everyone's complaint? No one tackled, no one had heart, no one was tenacious. He's yep. a little arsehole of a bloke, really. Yep. He looks he looks inconsequential when he looks nice, but he's an arsehole when he plays football. Yep. Now, you speak to Geelong fans, he never quite got going. He's a little bit like Dow. He's, he's shown it, but he's never reached where they want to be. And we know history tells us when players move and they stagnate, quite often it's the making of them. 
It's quite often the making of them. So potentially yeah. on paper, we haven't given much for this deal. He could be a superstar. I'm not saying like he's going to change the world, but for what we've got him for, which is like a net 44, 45, yeah. he could be a superstar for that pick. Like he, he could be brilliant. And we've got we've got the 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 what what do you call it? like the magic person there to help him move along, and that's Eddie Betts, man. So if anyone can get like someone really hammering there and pumping along, I reckon Eddie Betts can do it. You know, so you know, and this is what Eddie Betts is here for this year, I believe, or next year. He's now to train these kids and the Fisher and the, and the, now the Fogarty and 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 the Gibbons and that and get them ready for the hand over the baton, yeah? Yeah, yeah. For me, this is like a, a kind of a Sam Walsh situation yeah. for Lock Lockie. It's working with Eddie, get this goal kick inside, and I think you'll see him play 50-50 in the midfield and 50 across half forward. And he yeah. adds this repertoire of goal kicking. He, he tidies that up because he yeah. is very wayward. He, he, he works about 40% goals to, to behinds. Yep. If you sharpen that up, this guy could be a handy. And I think he's in a privileged position. He doesn't have to be a superstar. All he's got to be is better than good. We've, we've got yep. to look at it as a Richmond. They've got superstars in their midfield. Not okay midfielders. Midfielders that are around good. All That's his aim. His, his success will be if he can be that 22nd man, that 25th man that does a job, and wins us a flag, superhero. But he has got this grey area that says, could be a very good footballer. And then there's a smaller bit that says he could be a superstar. So yeah. he has potential, and it's how we manage him and how much he wants it, which kind of leads us on to what this whole show's about. What is being a Carlton player? We talk about the Carlton way. We talk about the Richmond way. What is the Carlton way to you? You tell me what you think the Carlton way is. It's it's the jumper. You know, you're playing for the jumper. It's 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 about it's about giving your all and um, never never taking a step back. You know what I mean? And no matter no matter how talented you are, right? It's about giving everything you've got to get the most out of you out of yourself. That, that's all we ask from each player. And if each player can do that, it's success for everybody. If everyone can just give that. Remember I did that thing where I said, oh, raise your arm. And then like, and then I said, oh, raise it a bit more. And I said, oh, I told you to raise it the first time. You know, that's what we need. That's, I think, the Carlton way, the old Carlton way. Just give, because in the past, we had we had a lot of great players, but we had also a lot of just goers, man. Just like they weren't the most talented, but they gave it all, and they gave it all for their team. You know what I mean? They worked as a team. I'll give you one example, like, and that's another thing. Like sometimes players these days that they're all about, oh, like, and I'm maybe being a bit of a hypocrite because William just come over to play in the middle. You know what I mean? So maybe I'm a little bit of a hypocrite, but sometimes players are like. Oh, no, this is too hard for me. I want to go somewhere where I'm comfortable, you know. Sauce, man, when he started, he was a forward, right? And he's come over, right? And I'm not talking about Bob. I'm talking about the real Sauce, right? When he came over, we needed him in the back, and he went to the back, and he did. And I'm pretty sure I used to hear interviews where he never really was happy in the back at the beginning. He wanted to go up forward. I mean, that bloke kicked 200 goals as a fullback of the century, you know. But he did what he had to do for the team. And that's what I think the Carlton way is, you know, someone who does what they have to do for the team, yeah? No, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think that is has been my criticism all year as well, that sometimes it does feel there isn't heart. And I, I, I look at Carlton and I hear the history, and I think that's what it is. It's it's heart. It's it's doing it at any way possible. And I think yeah. I include the salary cap scandal in this. That yeah. to me is Carlton. It's yeah. we do whatever it takes because winning is winning and putting pride in the Guernsey means more than anything. Because yeah. people remember champions, they don't remember 
anyone else. That's and I right. think it's playing that way. I'm not saying you have to cheat, but I'm saying yeah. on the field, anything has to be, everything has to be done. Nothing's too hard. Do I need to dig deep? You've missed your man. Don't worry. I'll tackle him for you, mate. Yep. I've got your back. And that's it. That's why I'm excited at some of the players we've got in, because I think we have them players, but I think also we don't have them X-Factor players. And I think that's what Cowan is. You look at that 95 team, there's game breakers. But like yep. you say, they're mixed with goers, guys that are just getting the job done, guys that are willing to take the hits, willing to step in. That's all we want, and we... Like that 95, that's for another day, man. Like every line there, man. It was either you were a champion or you were that bloke like, and I'm not saying these were champions, but people like Peter Dean and Sexton, man, these these were just workhorses, man. They're always in the right position. I mean, I seen Peter Dean take such hits. I mean, he wasn't, you wouldn't say he was a champion player, but gee, he was a, mate, he was a, champion bloke, if you know what I mean, man. The bloke did what he had to do. And this is what we need from our team now. And hopefully now we're getting these players in, they move to that next level. I, I think if you look at our team, and I think that's what is really luxurious, we've got Walsh, we've got Wheatering, we've got JSOS. These people that we're instantly drawn to because they care. You see, yep. when the final siren blows and we've got a loss, you see it hurts them. Yes. But then we do have these creative geniuses, particularly like with Saad coming in. He's a guy that's not known for digging deep and putting yes. in shifts, but he is known for doing moments of brilliance. And oh. when you have that cocktail, that is a winning side. You look at Richmond. They've got guys that put shifts in, but then they've got guys that just turn it on when they need to. And when they turn it on, everything works. And that's I think we've got that now. I think it's an exciting yeah. time. I'm telling you, man, this is good, man. This, this is oh, we couldn't have asked for any more than what we got this year. And now, how the team's looking, we couldn't have asked for any more, man. This is what we've been screaming for, man. This is I'm telling you, I'm excited. And even with Charlie Gurney going down, um, like, and everyone just relax, relax. All word is, and if it's all correct, it's only like for four months, you know what I mean? It's not the most ideal thing, of course. Don't get me wrong. We want him out there. But if this is the worst-case scenario, four months, the season's five months away, even if he starts a little bit late, man, I think everything's going to be right. Everyone should just take a breath and um, and um, just relax because I think we're on the right track. And I'm – listen – Let's be positive. Charlie's going to be okay and he's going to be there when we need him. I hope so for my sake because I've got a lot of emotion invested in Charlie. He's, he's my boy. And I find it hard to ever talk negative. I, I, I criticise everyone for coming at things with blue-tinted glasses at times. I do find it hard to take my Charlie Kernow-tinted glasses off. But I'll say this, and I think this is the positive, and I think this really does encompass what Cowton's about. And we have got a guest on coming up later who will maybe be able to explain this to us better. But what I will say is this is what I love about us. It's passion. Our fans are passionate. And the minute we hear about Charlie Kerner, big red buttons press, panic alarm. Oh, my God, dream's over. We're, and I think we should channel this passion into what really matters. It's winning flag 17. And then it's winning flag 18. And then it's winning flag 19, 20, 21, 22. Get to 50 before every other mug. That's where the passion needs to be channeled for me. It's bringing that arrogance back. Because I think once we start walking that walk and talking that talk, I think the rest will follow. And I think we're instantly at the moment, there's, there's some of us who are like worst case scenario all the time because we're so used to it. But the minute we start to believe, I actually think it will turn because that's infectious. That is infectious. I've seen it at Manchester United. I've seen it at Rangers. Yep. Oh, Ali McCoyst is out for the year. It's all right. We've got Ian Drury. He'll score 60 goals. That's like, what we we're the best side in the world. Like That is the mentality I was brought up with when I was a kid. And it's what I want to see back at Carlton. Okay, Charlie Kernow's injured. McGovern will step up 
because he has to. He's playing for the best goddamn team in the world. He has to. If he doesn't, he's a flog. Harry has to step up and back his mate in. And if Charlie's going to kick 50 goals, McKay's got to set himself 100 because he's got to kick 50 for his mate. And Levi, how many chances does Levi want to stay an AFL footballer? He keeps proving us wrong every year. And now is the time. Now is the time. Do it again. Another 40 goals from your son. Brody Kemp, you did it in juniors as a key forward. Now's your time. That's right. That's right. Well, as soon as you started talking like that, man, I lifted up the chest out and I'm thinking, that is out, mate. That's it. I'm ready to go, mate. Like, that's it. Bring back that arrogance. And you know, you you asked, what does Carlton mean? And it was. You're right. When when I was young, it was all about winning. And this is what we've got to do now. It's about winning the next flag. It, it, you're right. Forget about everything else. It has to be the Carlton way is winning. That's it. That's it. If you have to put one word to it, it's winner. That's who we are. We are the Charlie Sheen, mate. Remember? Winning. Remember that? That's who we are. The Tiger Black. Mate, I'm with you because to me that blue Guernsey represents perfection. That's what all the other AFL clubs aspire to be. They, they, They want our lineage. They want the best history. They want the best fan base. Yeah. I mean, our fan base is so good. 70,000 people joined up after 2018. Who does that? It was incredible, man. I was even shocked myself. You know, I thought there is no way. And look, you've got to give, you've got to give big credit there just quietly to, uh, to Little. And he, he did it at Richmond and he came over to us and he said that he raised membership straight away. And, and good on you, Carlton supporters slash members. Man, we backed our sides at the worst time, but get ready because we're all going to take this ride now, yeah? And to me, that's why I'm gutted about Charlie. And if it is true what the internet rumours are, he's done it himself by doing something stupid, that's, that's on him. And I hate to say it, he's probably dead to me in a way if he's done that because I'm a third strikes and you're out type of guy. But I'm going to back him in. But for me, all that says to me now is there is an opportunity for someone else to say, I'm playing for the best club in AFL, the best history, the best fan days, and they can't not but win. They can't not but succeed because they have us behind them. If, if they can't step up and be the next Charlie Kerner, what hope have we got? Because I'll tell you what, walk through the wall. All these players that play in the reserves and and you know just get like a game or two. What are they? What are they aspiring to? Don't they want to be like in the best twenty-two? So as much as like an injury to someone isn't good, it's always that opportunity for the next person. And then like that's why I was so upset like this year at certain people coming in and getting their opportunity and just throwing it away. What is wrong with you, man? You get like one, I'm telling you, you probably get half a dozen opportunities in this game when you're just average, right? And if you don't make the most of it, that's it. You're selling, you just get ready to be asking, would you like fries with that? You know, that's, you, you, you've got to take your opportunity. And that's what these players should be doing now. Charlie's down, hopefully he'll be back by round one. But if not, someone should be looking and saying, you know what, this is my opportunity to take your spot now. Exactly. And we know as well, there's great cases in the AFL where people have their opportunities taken away from them. It's not a guarantee. Alex Johnson at the Northern Blues, guy that just kept getting freakish ACL injuries. Sky was the limit of his talent, but unfortunately, life had other plans for him. And we have a special guest who also knows the trials yep. and tribulations of being a Carlton fan, the expectation. Yep. And that is, ladies and gentlemen, Simon Wiggins. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as we promised, we've got a special guest. We're joined by none other than dual preseason Premiership winner, <laughs> Simon Wiggins. Oh, How are wow. you doing? Welcome to the show, mate. Oh, thanks for having me on board. Dual Premiership. 
dual pre-season premiership player. It's quite an accolade to, to carry around. Come on, mate. They were big years. What was it, 05 and 07? The Chiefs, eh? Well, well done, mate. Yeah, they were. They were big years. We celebrated pretty hard back in those days. You we didn't have a lot of success. <laughs> there were a couple of players there would have, would have liked celebrating too, just quietly. Oh, we were all very good, I think. <laughs> Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Now, uh, I'm sure all of our fans know him. Pick 15 in the 2000 draft. Pick five places before Cowton's favourite enemy at the moment, Kane Corn. So, yeah, you're already universally loved without talking about your playing career. Well, me and Rocco have been discussing what it takes to be a Carlton player and the onus on it. So talk us a little bit through what it was like to be picked up by Carlton, the process you went through and your experiences of playing for our beloved club. Uh, well, um, my um, initial football career, I guess, started in Tasmania with um, the elite level stuff down there. So I started down in Hobart and spent two years in the TAC Cup, which is the former VSFL, um, where Tasmanian teams would travel over to... Victoria to play all your Danny Nong Stingrays, your Ballarat Rattles and these types. So I spent two years playing in there and was lucky enough to get picked up at the end of that year um, in 2000 after two years. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty exciting time. I, I didn't expect to go to Carlton. I thought I was more likely to go to the Bulldogs. I think they, uh, there was an inclination at that point. Um, I think Jordan McMahon went at 10. If, I, if he wasn't there at that point and Kane Pettifer was gone, I was going to be the next pick at the Bulldogs at 10. Um, and then also there was a bit of interest at Melbourne at 16 as well. So that was, they were probably the ones that I was more likely thinking I was going to go to. Um, Carlton, I had meetings with them at the draft camp back in um, 2000, but obviously they had three picks early. North Melbourne had three picks early. Um, yeah, I, I was just, I didn't expect to go to Carlton. And when my name got called out, lucky enough to be at the draft that day, um, I was very excited. Great club. Um, I wasn't a huge fan growing up of Carlton. I was a Hawthorne supporter, but obviously... Uh, obviously. Obviously, getting dragged down to, to the Blues with such success, um, such superstars still at the club, it was it was really eye-opening. It was just a fantastic couple of years for a young kid who didn't have a lot of exposure or a lot of contact with AFL players to just to be picked into one of the most famous and great clubs definitely across the country, but if not the world. 100%. I mean, you played with some superstars, didn't you? Obviously, this is more your time, Rocco. At this stage, I was engrossed in the round ball back home. But you look at the list that you came into, Craig Bradley, Sauce, Dean Rice, Ratton, Cooter, my, 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 my old mate, Cooter. There was, it must have been real scary as well for a young player to come in in household names at the time like that. It was incre incredibly intimidating. I remember... Um... Pretty much not speaking for the last for the first six months of my time at Carlton because I was just so. <laughs> but that that was the norm. That's how you were told to behave back then. Like you had to earn the respect of the senior players. You couldn't be loud. Um, you just had to earn your respect, obviously, through the way you trained and played. And I like it was just fantastic. I mean, I can still remember getting called before my first game by Sauce, who was being I was coming in for that week because he'd injured himself and. Um, and obviously playing against Brett Ratton and Andrew McKay, Matthew Allen, Anthony Kutafiz, Ange Christo, these absolute superstar players, premiership players. It was just, it was really, really, it took me a long time to sort of settle down because of the, of the awe I had for these people. Yeah, you would have just came in, you would have just came in because we had the 99 preliminary. So you would have just come in the year after. I mean, the club was flying at the time, you know what I mean? I mean, we were we were looking good, you know. So 2000, you come along, so... Things were looking good at that stage, weren't they? Oh, it was a hot. It was a hot side. I mean, '99 Grand Final, 2000. They obviously had the injuries of Cuda in round 20. Yeah. And they were on target for a, for a, for a grand final. At least, obviously, Essendon were very strong at that point. But Carlton as a football club were probably at the same level. Um, and 2001, you, you're thinking you're going to be right up there again. I, I think I, we. I think that year we lost to Richmond in a qualifying final, so finished fifth or sixth. Yeah. Um, but and. Obviously, Cooter had come back from a knee. Soss had come back from a hamstring tendinopathy. Um, so we had injuries that sort of stopped us from getting a lot of momentum early in the year. But it, it was just a superstar side. And then 2001, I think, the Blues, who played the Brisbane Lions halfway through that year, who ended up – that was the front end of their dynasty, beat them by over 100 points at Princess Park. So they were an absolute super outfit. Yeah. Now, was there any, we always talk about this, me and Rocco, about how the history of the club, how big it is. It's a big name. You've mentioned yourself coming into a club that has the history. 
Is there that kind of onus taught to the young players? Is there an expectation that comes with wearing our blue? We hope there is. But is that passed on to the players? Well, there is. Obviously, you taught about the history of the club and all the great players, and they try to develop a relationship with past players. Um, I probably had more of a keen interest than most because I, I tend to go down that path. And obviously, there's a lot of the, the walls are adorned with a lot of photos of great players. And I remember the first time I walked into the locker room, which is which was the locker room at Princess Park for uh, probably close to 100 years. The first, the first locker I went to was I went to 17 because I wanted to see Brent Croswell's name because I heard of, from Tasmania, heard all the stories about Brent Croswell, how super a player he was, and was just amused to see that his name wasn't actually there. So it was funny because he played 98 games, three premierships, but was two games off getting his name on the locker. And, mate, I, I was all constantly trying to, to find that little, just every little bit of information I could about the club, its past players, how many Tasmanians have been there, the premierships, particularly the people who were on my locker in Marku and Ian Robertson and these guys, both triple premiership players, a, a huge amount of history. And as a young player, I really, really soaked that up. With the 34, what, what was there? Why, why 34? Was it just given to you or was there a reason? Uh, just uh, we had, I think we had um, we had six draftees that year, and obviously the, peop- the the people who'd been there previous years have either retired or, you know, obviously been delisted. Ron Delulio had just finished up, I think, a year yep. prior to me, so thirty four was available. Um, I was a thirty three player. Always loved wearing thirty three. Um, yep. Ryan Houlihan had just signed that up the year before and was probably destined for a long career. Oops. So um, yeah, so hoops hoops jagged the thirty three and thirty four was close enough. I like the look of the number, so. Yeah, I, I was just very happy to get that number and stay with that number for the entirety of my career. And who would you say was the biggest influence in the dressing room when you got there? It was Is there like a big senior player factor that passes on the expectations or was it like a collective? It was a bit of a collective. A lot of the, the senior players, um, there was a bit of a separation back in that day. So as I said before, you had to earn your respect. So you you were just a minnow when it happened unless... You really grabbed their attention or did something. But that, those expectations were like, we had like a, an Adrian Hickmott, what would I say? He would set the standard and the expectations. So he, he was a superstar player. Obviously, we had our next level echelon superstar players, but he was the one that everyone absolutely respected by the way he went about his football. Super courageous, hardest trainer by a long way. And, you know, he, he laid down the expectations, you know, quite physically. If you didn't meet those, there, was, there were consequences. So... I would say he probably had that impact in our locker room back in the day. Big, big hit, Mark. He's, yep. he, he's, he's, he's got a couple of sons that are in and around the uh, Carlton Northern Blues team. So Has he really? Yeah. Wow. Interesting yeah. I, to see. I can remember wedding the heads of those two kids. I can't believe that. That's that long ago. <laughs> in, that, in that draft that you got picked up, just... Do you remember who were the two Carlton players that were drafted just before you? Oh, yeah. I can pretty much name the draft from one through to 50, mate. All right. So the first one was Luke Livingston, number... number four. He went number four. Yeah, Number four, yeah. And then we had Trent Spawn. Number 11, yeah. Number 11, yeah. And you went 15. So you'd have to say, you should have gone number four. Come on. <laughs> There's quite a good, few good players between me and number four, mate. Um, I'm talking. I'm talking. Oh, I'm talking number four. I reckon Carlton should have picked you up first. <laughs> well, they probably should have picked up Sean Burgoyne now, thinking about it well, now. So. Yeah, we're all generals after the battle. <laughs> now, but we had a good draft. We um, we came in fairly talented youngsters. Um, I think Livo was an under-18 All-Australian. Um, Spawny was a super talented player. First couple of years, like he really got going. Had a lot of injuries that sort of hampered his development. And obviously, with our development as well, it, so it wasn't the greatest environment for development when we started to struggle a little bit in 2000. Um, so, so it wasn't as nurturing. You couldn't be nursed in. You sort of got thrown in um, a little bit, which is which works for some people. But um, I think there was a few, we might have lost a few in that period because of not having the right environment sort of for these guys to develop their game. So what about the first game you played? When you got called up for that first game, how did that come about? Well, what happened there? Like... What was it? Was it? I think. I think. Was it that year? Was it two thousand? Yeah, it was round yeah. six or round round five. There you go, mate. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just done your research. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, um, 
Well, it was a funny one because I was um because I didn't. It's a super strong side. Like what? Pretty much, you got drafted in that. The new thing, and I'm just going to fluff. I'm not going to fluff around, but I'm just going to do my best in the twos. Um, in the v, it was the VFL then. Um, obviously, you put string together some good games and start looking towards you know cementing inside the next couple of years. But pretty much straight out of the blocks, I I started playing well in the VFL. Um, first three games, I um, played against Box Hill. Essendon, and then my third game, which was against Tasmania, which is a VFL team. So I played sort of two very good games, and the third game against Tasmania was a was a really good game. So I sort of came into con- contention. I didn't really think it was going to happen, but um, we were obviously going okay, I think, in in the ones, and they thought it might have been an opportunity to blood me. Um, Stephen Silvani, the week before, um, against Adelaide, which we lost at, at Princess Park, ruptured his testicle in a in a in a uh, contest. So he was out for the week. So Silvani out, Wiggins in, got the call on the Thursday. They weren't allowed to include me because the way you found out back in those days pretty much was um, you watched the footy show on a Thursday night to see who the really? ins and outs were. Yeah, a lot of the times. And um, to see if you're in the squad, they do it in extended bench or things like that. But they told, I, got, I spoke to, to um, Wayne Britton. He said, look, we're going to play this week, but we can't name you because they thought Sauce was going to be okay. So that's sort of like I missed out on that sort of period of everyone ringing you. So I was like a little bit clandestine for that stuff. So, but um, got the phone call, got got started on the bench. Um, at Prenny Park against St Kilda. Um, we, we it, was, it was actually Aaron Hamill's first game returning to Princess Park as an opposition player. So there's a lot of animosity there. I think my first kick was a bit of a, like a scrappy scrub and it went to him. So, Your second kick was, was a good kick. That was a goal, mate, in the last quarter. First kick like. It's scrappy, mate. It was a bit scrappy. <laughs> Just a quick dribble kick forward went straight to Aaron Hamill. And then the booze came. <laughs> and the second kick was, uh, well, you took a good mark, didn't you? That's right, mate. Well done. Um, yeah, so we're, I think we're up by about – it was a very close game. Um, St Kilda obviously down the bottom of the ladder, but always had issues with St Kilda. Sydney, regardless of the position of the ladder, it was like a bit of a bogey side. So I think we're about four points up and I snuck onto the ground. I just come on late because back in those days when – when you were playing your first few games, you'd probably play the last three to five minutes of every quarter. It's just, it's not like they'd get time into your legs. You end up coming off with 23 minutes of game time. And I snuck on in the last quarter, high ball kicked by Craig Bradley into the forward half, uh, Heatley stand in, sprung up, took a, took a big mark in front of Matthew Capuana, who was at the Saints then, kicked a goal, and we ended up winning by five, uh, 10 points, I think. So it was, a pre- it was great. And I got dropped the following week. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. You got dropped the following week. <laughs> Yeah. Well, some things haven't changed at Carlton. We haven't yeah. done that all 2020, haven't we? Put <laughs> the youngster and then the senior players come back in. What, yeah. what was it like in the dressing room before for making your debut? How does that feel as a player? Like, talk us through that emotion. It's a very, it's a, it's a really surreal experience because you think about, you know, you, you're directive your whole life. As soon as you start getting okay at football, you want to get to AFL football. And you want to you actually want to play a game. I can remember driving home after being cold. I was going to play and just being absolutely elated. Like it's just how good is this? I finally made it. I'm an AFL footballer, not just on an AFL list, but I'm an AFL footballer now. I just remember just everything went going really quickly and just being super anxious and just burning a lot of you know energy that I probably shouldn't have because it just through sheer excitement. And um, hey, I can just remember just being fatigued the whole game because I just there was no conservation of energy. Because it's just everything bullet a gate, um, and obviously when you come off the ground and you sing the song, and particularly in those days when there was such a great atmosphere at, the, at Optus Oval, and you kick towards the Heatley Stand in the fourth quarter, it's just insane. The amount of crowd, fanatical fans standing up behind the goals and walking down the race and coming into the old change rooms and singing the song and all that. Just yeah, it's just a really brilliant experience. Some yeah, real times have changed, haven't they? Now that yeah. we're at the G and the Marvel, like there is something magical about Prince's Park, isn't there? Even now to go and see the training, it's just the history, is, particularly for a foreigner, because I've never seen a game live. There is something magical about them old grounds. It kind of smells of what football should smell like. Yeah, it's, it, was a, it was a great game, a great ground to play at Prince's Park. Just the whole, the whole day was focused around that, getting to that ground, whether it was the number 19 tram, whether it was parking in the parklands, whether it was walking, you know, just around the ground, the potato man that lived, worked under the Pratt stand. It was just, yeah, it was like a, yeah, it was just a bit. There was the peanut guy. The he peanut walk, guy was there. Yep. He used to throw a dollar at him and he used to throw you the peanuts and he used to always hit you, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it was it was it was great. It was really sad to see that that ground um, stop being used because a lot obviously a lot of the, the newer grounds are more sterile. You know, they're not obviously directed at one of the clubs, which Carlton was just pure Carlton, like Princess Park. It was just yeah, it was a it was a great stadium, and yeah, I I, I sort of really loved our time there. Obviously, we we didn't have. Early days, it was quite successful, and then it was a bit challenging there for the until we finally said goodbye in two thousand five. But still, a lot of great memories from that place. Now, talk to me about your role in two thousand and eight. You were top five in the comp for goal assists, so famed for your outside of the fifty, being the link man in the chain that year. That's something that we look at count in twenty twenty, and I think Rocker will agree. It's something that we desperately need, isn't it? That. That guy that sets up the play, that makes that last kick so important. You were a very selfish, selfless footballer, which is a big part. Now, we say that's something about Carlton, playing your role. Was that a big thing for you, being able to bring your teammates in? Did you see setting up a goal just as important as kicking the goal yourself? Well, that's just sort of how my game evolved. I think I had to evolve multiple times just to, just to survive and... It worked out that my running capacity sort of suited that half forward position, uh, where it was high high effort, short rest, high effort, short rest, rather than just that long endurance running. And I could run as hard as I could for nine, ten minutes break again, break, and that enabled me to sort of get up the ground um, to get back. It also helps with the goal assist when you've got a big dude called Brendan Favola who's occupying a lot of space down there as well. So it makes a fairly easy decision for that link person to sort of. Um, when you've got such a target down there, and particularly with the crummers, we had it his feet as well. But it was um, it was a, it was a good position. It suited me. It suited me well. Um, I love playing that role. Um, it was very hard work, but it was something that that I evolved into, and I, I really enjoyed. I knew how to work. I knew how to predict where the ball was potentially going to go. And obviously, my my work rate was just that's one of the things I can hang my hat on my work ethic when I was playing that high half forward role. And you kind, of, you kind of like were Charlie Kerno before Charlie Kerno, weren't you, really? Playing that high half forward. And me and Rocco have been discussing Charlie Kerno most of the show, haven't we? Because we do love a bit of Charlie. Now, you were someone that had a few injuries as well towards the end of your career. How does that help you as a mindset of a player? What is that like in not being able to play? Oh, it's yeah, it's it's really it's the hardest thing involved in footy. It's just he's not being able to play at, at, to your potential because you're being inhibited by injuries. Like I think 2000, 2006, I tore my hamstring off the bone, so I had to have that reattached at the end of two thousand six. So there's always a limitation on on how much I could, how much work I could put into my body from that point. Um, but you know, you just whether when you get on the field, everything might seem worse than what it is before you get there. But obviously, the adrenaline kicks in and. and and you're able to to obviously do what you can with with the injuries you've had, like the hamstring. The hamstring was the toughest injury I had um, during during the periods. We had a lot of periods of inactivity, like with with injuries early career, like shoulder twelve weeks, knee six weeks. Um, there was a couple of really good ones, and the hamstring I missed chunks of pretty much half a season there at times as well. But that's one of the things that that you know I would have liked more durability. That's the way I played as well. I couldn't afford to play any other way because, you know, I didn't possess that natural talent. I couldn't – I had to really just roll my sleeves up, put myself in positions where I'm going to get hurt or hurt my body just to maintain my position in the side. But that's why we go. That's why we loved you, mate. That's why we loved you, man. You gave everything for the club, man. As much as you're modest about your game and that, you did have talent out there. I don't get what anyone says, man. At the end of the day, man, we loved – what you did for that club, man. Look, man, some of those tackles used to go in and some of those injuries, you, you did an eye soccer too, didn't you? Yeah, cracked my <laughs> eye socket and cheekbone, yeah. Cracked it in two places. That 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 was the one that finished my 2006 year. Yes. So I did. I think I hit Brett Deledio coming off the square and I thought, yeah, I just remember hit, hitting him and it felt like my face had fallen off. Yeah. And then I've gone, whoa, that hurts. Like, so I got a reasonably sort of high pain threshold and I've gone, whoa. And then I was like, I can remember I had to go to the Epworth after it and my heart rate was through the roof because I was in so much pain. And it sort of finished my year and um, my year that, that year. Good, wasn't it? You had what a good year 2006. That was yeah, good, good yeah. year. 2006 was, I sort of learned how to play half forward at the back end of 2005 because I'd, I'd come off a, a major shoulder injury in 2004, played the first half um, and five in the ones and then sort of struggled a little bit. I couldn't find my place again. Um, went back to the twos um, with the, with the Balance 
Barry Mitchell taught me about football. It was pretty much a PhD in football. Um, taught me about conservation of energy, reading the play, um, when to use your energy, when to save it, um, where to attack the ball. Or just, just he just it was the be- it was the best thing for me because just he, his game knowledge is the best I've experienced in football. And being under him for a block of five weeks, I think towards the back end of the year, I learnt a lot. And then that I enabled, I was able to translate that into my game in 2006, and that's and I ended up having a really good year. That just shows how important those assistant coaches are. Huh? A good assistant coach is just as good as your senior coach, or probably more important at times. Yeah, absolutely. You you have more interactions with your assistant coach, and they're more of a development role where, as obviously, your head coach looks after everyone. So, very lucky in my time. Um, my first assistant coach was John Worsfold. Um, uh, went into Ross Lyon and then obviously developed a men- coaching, mentoring relationships with Barry Mitchell, um, probably still to this day. Um, he's just, he, yeah, just super, super person, um, super football brain. You can see that, that, see that with his son. His son walks into AFL football and just knows where to find the footy. Brownlow medalist, most possessions in a season ever. And that's just pretty much just relayed through his dad. Should have come to Carlton, Barry. <laughs> Mitchell yeah. should have come to Carlton that time. Yeah. And we talked about the comparisons to Charlie Kerner, but you do have another one, your brother, Patrick. And so that makes you the more talented brother. What was it like having two family members in AFL? What was that like? Was there a sibling rivalry while you were had your time in there as well? Oh, not, not, so, not so much. You try and support each other. It's, it's, a, it's a tough industry. You just... You want to help people out to sort of stay involved in the game because obviously spoken about before, it's it's been your dream your whole life, and if you can if you can maintain a long career, that's that's great. I mean, unfortunately, my brother game um, career after ended after five years, but still achievement in itself to play AFL football. He had a lot of he had a major knee injury in his second year, which is probably the the time when you don't want to have an injury in terms of your development. But my first my first game was the Antet Cup then, back in 2001, was against the Bulldogs. So I got to play against my brother at Telstra Dome. So that was, I was going to ask you, you played against yeah. your, so one game you played against your brother? Yeah, one game in the um, one game in, in the Antet Cup. No 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 proper games. And then there was, obviously, we played one game against each other in the VFL as well. Okay. And how was that? Was, did, you, did you actually, was there any contests? Together, like it was funny. No, that was funny. I was he was. This was against. Um, I think the Bulldogs were aligned with Werribee then. I think. Um, so, so my brother played centre half back for us, and I played centre half back for the Bullants on Daniel Bandy that game. So I think Paddy got best for them. I think I got second best for us. So win win. <laughs> love it, love it. So he's got that on, on you now, has he? Yeah, yeah, has mate. Absolutely. <laughs> and and now let's talk modern day Carlton. Do you still check out how your old boys are doing? Is that still something that you've like become indoctrinated now into being one of us? Yeah, well, look. Um, when I finished playing, it was just after when you're in the environment for ten years. It's just, it's a very intense environment. Uh, to be honest, I probably didn't watch a game for six to seven years because I just didn't want to watch it. I had enough of it. And um, but the last few years, obviously, I want to get my kids involved and passionate about footy, and hopefully, go and watch a few watch games with them in the future. So. I've started going to a lot of games. Um, we go to as many games as we can now, and I love it. Like the last two years, um, I've, I've really, really enjoyed watching the footy. I'm wrapped that David T's got the job. Um, I think he's got those guys playing well. And there's some really good signs this year. I think they play a really exciting brand of footy. I like the list they've put together. They're recruiting well. We're, we're getting People want to come to Carlton now. So I think it's really exciting times ahead. So I think you guys agree we've got some exciting things on the horizon for our footy club. We're ex- mate, you've got to listen to me and Pom, mate. We're excited, man. We've, we've got big predictions coming, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we oh, are good. guilty of very big calls, aren't we? <laughs> very big calls here at Carlton. Sometimes yes. they happen, mate. Brendan Gale made a big call about 10 years ago, and look what's happened exactly. in the last couple of years. So Exactly, mate. And if you're not aiming for the stars, how are we going to get to the moon, huh? Exactly. That's, that's it. I think, yeah, as I said, the list's in great shape. They've got good young players. Um, I like our key forwards. Um, our midfield's strong. Um, they're recruiting well at the moment. The draft looks to be get, we're getting the right players, that speed off halfback to sort of fill that gap from, you know, that Cage Simpson occupied for some 18 years. So there's really good. And I love Weedering. I think his year was fantastic this year. So I think we've, we've, uh, we've solidified a lot of those super important positions. And you were talking about your kids and going to the footy. Have we got a future father-son, <laughs> father-daughter? Yeah, my, my little girls uh, started playing footy this year. Unfortunately, the season was cut 
because of the the COVID stuff. Um, little guy's not overly interested in football. He's um he's more of, more of a laid back type, but he's starting to generate that now. So it's exciting. Um, I just want him to enjoy it. Look, That's playing outdoor footy was fun, but I mean, I'm, I would just prefer. I, I would just be happy with him just enjoying his footy, getting that community that you need that comes from a football club, and you know, just just to play would be enough for me. I've got one more question for you. If um, one of your games that you played, naturally your 100th game, yeah? Yeah. Okay. I mean, full goals, great game. You know, like, I, was, <laughs> I was there. Come on. It was good. But the question I want to know is this, right? Did Juddy steal the free votes because his name was Judd? Because come on. You should have got the full votes that day, mate. I was, oh, two was enough, mate. It was the only time I polled Brownlow votes. Um, I was pretty. I was sandwiched by pretty two pretty good players in that game. Yeah. Um, it was a great. It was a great game of footy. Like we were, oh. like Bulldogs were like a top two side. We were. Um, we were just out of the eight, pushing to try and maybe steal that seventh or eighth spot. And um, I think we're down by about twenty points at half time. And just um, something points, and you come back. So that would have been. Oh, I remember I was there, man. I was so excited. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. cool. And Fevy turned it on the last half. Yeah. And Juddy, Juddy just did what Juddy did. So he's obviously. He's probably had the greatest influence on the game that day, so entitled to the three votes. <laughs> we have to talk about Fev as well, I suppose, before we wrap up, because we mentioned Fev last week on the show about key forwards get away with murder because the, the celebrities of the football club. What what was Fev like in the locker room? Because he looks like the kind of player that was a, a loose unit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Fev definitely had his times being really loose. Like, but he also had a, like a great deal of compassion at times too. Some of the stuff he used to do was, um, you know, you just didn't expect someone like that to do. Um, he was always big with the kids in hospitals and making people feel special who came to the footy club. So he's got a very kind heart. And then he also had that. We were all you got to remember, we were all just kids. Like people expect grand things of us, us at the time because you're just you're, you're playing AFL football. But in reality, you just you're really kids who have just grown up in this very sheltered bubble. And at times, you are going to act very immature. And I would probably was a, was was a was a culprit of that too on a number of occasions. But you know, yeah, we, he was he's, he's a good he's a good guy. He is, and it's, it was a good time to play footy. And people don't see that about football players, you know. Like, we're all critics here. We're all yelling. We're all, you know, as soon as someone does something, we're all there, you know. But it, behind the scenes, you are, like, footy players are important to a lot of people. Like, you don't realise how much work you guys actually do. I think I think we got we really saw that this year how important football is to people when yep. during the lockdowns and just just the reliance on having that as an outlet and um, yep. yeah we we there's definitely a, a place for footballers that just just fulfil people's lives I mean people if you've had a rough week at work and your side wins on a Friday night I mean you've had a good sad. week it, it makes your whole week doesn't it, it, That's it. A, a win or a loss determines what kind of week you're going to have eh? absolutely and I get I get a bit like that now like uh, as I get back into footy I, get, I come way upset if we've had a loss but um, but still I love it it's just it's it's just and just the culture of, of football and just the community and the social aspect of it it's just it's and particularly in Melbourne it's just it's really it's really good I think that's a big thing as well you just said there that you're just kids I think that's something both me and Rocco are guilty of. We have been very vocal when we lose, aren't we? We we do <laughs> we do pick out players, and I think that's something that hits home then to me as a father. They are kids as well. Some of these players are 19, 20-year-old boys. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Who, yeah. who aren't going to make mistakes. When I was 20, I was an idiot. I'm sure Rock, Rocco definitely He's knows. definitely knows. Video <laughs> cameras. Lucky there was no phone cameras. Oh. oh, that's the same as us. I, I feel very privileged to be played in that era. We, we played in the era where it was transitioning from like an amateurish to professional, but we were still only training once a day. But in the back end of my career, it was we were at, a, at the football club for full eight hours a day on the weekends. Weren't allowed to go out like, and if you because the best thing about when I when I was playing, you played on a Friday night, you had Friday night and Saturday night to go out and have fun. But in the back in the back end of my career, there was always like this little touch session where you had to practice your handball skills on a Sunday at eight o'clock in the morning. So they sort of blocked you from doing that a bit. So there's not that release. These kids aren't getting that the release anymore. Plus they're more visible and and recognised as well. So. Yeah. Everything's everything's been scrutinised, so I feel very privileged that I did play in that era because we certainly had a lot of fun. That's it. Can you, can you imagine that now? Players going out 
on a Friday night and the reaction from the fans, like, we get upset when a player goes out in postseason on his yeah. holiday. That's <laughs> shocking. Crazy, isn't it? Oh, we would have been crucified. Yeah, was Norton's a popular haunt as well? Norton's was where we had a lot of our Mad Mondays. So that and they're all they're banned now as well. So yeah, that's it. That was that was yeah. They're all banned. Like that was you know a good sign off for the year. Like um, so we, we we used to spend a lot of time there and PAs all the pubs around Carlton the turf bar that was on the big roundabout back in the day as well. So we used to float around there. But yeah, so, so towards the back end of my career, there wasn't we weren't allowed to go anywhere. <laughs> Because that's magical, though. That was one of the first places when I became a Carlton fan, I got taught about the historical place of Norton's. I love going for a beer at Norton's. We should bring that back as a Carlton tradition, Mad Monday. Oh. We could do it, Rocco. Yeah, we're going to tee it up, mate. We're going to do our own Mad Monday. Blue or Mad Monday, mate. I'll give you a list of people, the best people to invite, so to include <laughs> the best part. We, we could definitely resurrect the uh, 2005 pre-season Premiership team and recreate Mad Monday. Yeah, we missed out on our reunion. They don't they don't offer too many reunions for those Wizard Cup uh, slash NAB pre-season uh, Premiership. So you, you guys can be tasked with that responsibility. I think that, that, that could be a good show, couldn't it, that, Rocco? I think that is a perfect show. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds fun to me. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Simon. It's an absolute privilege. Before you go, before you go, Simon, I've got no one's space to know, but I've got the brown paper bag here for you. (laughs) I never saw one of those, mate, I can assure you. (laughs) Uh, I'll show you what I'll show you about the Italian way. This is what you get in the brown paper bag. You get a bottle of wine. Oh, half drunk, beautiful. Half drunk. (laughs) You get a, a capricolo. Oh, beautiful. Right, what else? What else? What else have we got here? We got a salami. Oh, fantastic! All right, and what else are we here? We're gonna get a bag of pasta. <laughs> Will that get you over? That'll get me over the line, mate. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Simon, for joining us, and uh, we're sorry for the bribe there. So. <laughs> That's fine. I'm open to bribes now. <laughs>